time to praise each other and empower one another. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm about to peek in and eavesdrop on the ladies, our beautiful women, from women to women. I'm just lucky I get to hold the microphone and carry the boombox. Men, boys, you don't want to miss this, but hush, just listen. It's gonna get hot in here. Then they, they, they talk about this, this thing in the head. What's this they call it? What's this they call it? Intellect, that's it, honey. Intellect. Now, if the, if the first woman that God ever made was strong enough to turn this world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. Turn on the fans. My name is Neville D'Angelo. You are on the journey. Along the journey, we stop at intriguing places and meet fascinating people with novel solutions to some of life's tricky questions. And we play a few games and track the remarkable characters of three classic books, A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicet, A Time to Begin Again, all of which can be found on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Thank you, Ari. That's Ari Perez, straight back from this year's 100-mile Hotter than hell by grace. Oh yes, you're right. He's a runner, not a rider. But this boy is also crazy. Bored him a bike and rode him 100 miles. Mm -hmm. You know what's hurting now. <laughs> not me. We tracked him along the ride on Facebook. So you can check him out. Check out his ride and his buddies on ryosports.com that is r-y-o-s-p-o-r-t-s dot com go ahead Ari grab yourself a bucket of ice and sit in it post the pictures My guest is Texas writer, editor, storyteller, and traveler, Melissa Tinning. She is a second-time guest on the journey. I'm wearing my fire-retardant vest for that moment when she'll begin her hotter-than-hell woman-to-woman chat with our beautiful women. Guess who else is here, traveling all the way from 1851 to be with these women. You'll recognize her as the great... 
Sojourner Truth. Yes, straight talk from woman to these women. These lovely ladies will also be discovering how they can get involved in the Beautiful Body Project, a movement of women rising up to transform their body image, a movement founded by Jade Beale. Let me take you in to meet Melissa Tinning. have with me once again Melissa Tinning. Melissa, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm glad you came. So tell us what's going on with you right now. Well, right now I am a woman of leisure. That's not really true. <laughs> uh, no, I have um, started a new phase and am spending a lot of time writing and enjoying it so much. What's so enjoyable about it right now? Well, uh, I have the opportunity to really devote blocks of time to my writing as opposed to having to do catch as catch can, right. you know, catch an hour here, catch an hour there yeah. or something. Actually sit down and um, write and think and contemplate and work on characters. Um, I'm also getting to do a lot of research, which is something I just love doing, mm-hmm. so that's great. Now, earlier you were telling me about some particular research that you were doing. You want to share some of that with us? Um, Sure. I was researching um, a particular era, and you and I discussed how to pronounce it. I think that it's fin de siècle, Mm -hmm. a French term, um, end of the century, end of the century, excuse Mm me. And um, it's just such a fascinating time. Uh, You're looking at... Throughout Europe, you're looking at the artists, you're looking at the writers, you're looking at the politicians, um, you're looking at a surgeons for um, women. Uh, you are just—it's a fascinating time. And some of the reason it's fascinating is that some of the complaints about the people of the time are the exact same complaints that we have about people right now. So um, it—you there's nothing new under the world, I guess. But what, what drew you to that particular period of this or that era? Um, it was Europe at the turn of the century, mm-hmm. and I can't actually tell you why it was appealing to me other than it just caught my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were some wonderful things. There were some uh, wonderful women who were really um, stretching themselves at the time. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was such a patriarchal society um, then mm-hmm. that... Uh, mirrored even in our own society at the same time Um, but you saw these women stretching themselves you saw um, artists uh, actresses um, people being able to put their voice Sarah Bernhardt being able to put their voices forward for women Uh, you saw women taking roles um, we talked about the newspaper La Fond and their coverage of the Dreyfus Affair um, was as poignant and striking as any man's could have been. And no one expected that. Um, so, I mean, it's wonderful to read about these strong characters to me. That's wonderful. Now, how do you, uh, so do you think in our time we have stronger women? Uh, how do you compare what women are like today to that? Uh, that was a wonderful segue. <laughs> Thank you so very much. Because uh, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, about the women today, about women today. Um, 
I'm I'm a little mad <laughs> at women today. Tell me why. Well, because we are, are allowing this is I'm not directing this at you, but we are allowing men to to dictate things to us that we shouldn't be. Um, and it's really frustrating to me when we only have two political sides, basically. Mm-hmm. That's frustrating all on its own, and mm-hmm. that could be a whole other discussion. <laughs> but um, but when we the the women on the left should never allow men to call Sarah Palin Caribou Barbie. Mm-hmm. And by the same token, the women on the right should never think it's acceptable to call Wendy Davis abortion Barbie. Mm-hmm. The, all of that is is a man's attempt to denigrate the woman for the fact of being a woman. Mm-hmm. And we need to stop allowing that. Women need to stop allowing that. We need to stop allowing men to do that, and we need to stop participating in that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's fine to disagree with someone ideologically. It's mm-hmm. fine to disagree with someone anyway, mm-hmm. but to do so to to denigrate them simply for the fact of their gender is not fine and it's not acceptable. And women need to stop doing it. And it frustrates me that they do. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you how how can they move from allowing that to happen now to a place where? It's gone. It's removed. How, how do how do you see that process happening? That's um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I because from my perspective, I think that it has to start with with everyday women. It has to start with us. Mm-hmm. But by the same token, when you have the leaders of now saying that um, Laura Bush shouldn't get a Woman of the Year award because she's not helping the right women, mm-hmm. if there's a woman who needs help. She's the right woman. Right. I mean, period. And right. so it, it, it has to it has to occur on all levels. You know, I really um, applaud Mike Rollins for the um, stance that he took against domestic violence, mm-hmm. not only here in Dallas but at the UN and all that. And I wish that we had. Um, I wish that there was someone who could step forward just on a local basis and mm-hmm. say in the same way and say we have to stop this. Woman on woman violence. I mean, it's. I don't mean physical, but um, you know, so be supportive. Um, if we allow men to dictate those kinds of terms, then it's always going to be those kinds of terms. Now, do you think that um, there are some women or any large group uh, of women that buy into the arguments that the men make, or do you think it's just men that are doing it and women feel? In, Tell me what you mean by buy into the argument. Well, um, let me, uh, you know, I have uh, never quite understood why women generally, I never, I don't want to generalize, these are broad brushes, of course, sure. you know, um, us boys or us men would be likened to women if people wanted to show that we are weak or we are improper or we are incompetent. And I've always asked myself, especially if a woman does that, is that woman then conceiving that she is weak or incompetent? And so, so that has been always uh, my concern as a man, um, wondering if there's any woman in the stand back and argue that you know a man being like that, whatever trait that they see, um, uh, if they're they're buying into it. So my question to you was comes from that. Well, no, I think that's a very valid uh, point, and I think that um, 
I think that women do allow that. Um, and you see it at all ages. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you may see someone who allows their a woman who allows her daughter to dress in a certain way um, as a very young girl, but then something might happen and you blame the daughter for that. You know, it, it, it's, there's, it's not just a double standard, it's a quick, triple and quadruple and whatever additional standards it is. Um, so absolutely, I think that women do. Um, I, I I think that there are some women who who view it as the weaker sex, and I think that's a, a such a, a misnomer all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, women have very specific strengths. Men have very specific strengths. They don't have to butt heads on those strengths. Right. They can accomplish so much more in tandem mm-hmm. than you know as as separate um, camps, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that that there are women who buy into it, but I don't think that women have to propagate it. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And when you have um, when you have the people who are so visible to us, whether it's politicians or uh, TV people or, or stars or you know people with high profiles, I guess I should say. Um, who are engaging in this kind of behavior, it must certainly trickle down. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if it's okay for XYZ, I don't want to name a name, right. but if it's okay for XYZ person to call um, XYZ woman to call you know ABC woman a bitch, then mm-hmm. okay, it's okay to do that. No, it's not. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you can say I don't agree with you. Right. I don't agree with you, and this is why I don't agree with you. But to just go into this name calling and that's where I have that problem with this. Um, you have an attractive, intelligent woman who's a politician, and we can't seem to get to her by actually standing on an issue, so we're going to call her Caribou Barbie, or we're going to call her Abortion Barbie. You know, get over yourself. Actually bring something to the table. Yeah. The world doesn't revolve around 140 characters or less. Right. Bring dialogue, right. you know, right. as opposed to name calling. No, I so like that you bring that point. Is that we we reduce, and I don't even think it's only uh, male female thing. It's not only against the woman. It's against anyone who doesn't share my idea. Mm-hmm. Um, they start name calling. Right. Um, if your argument or stance can't stand on its own by its own strength and you have to turn to name calling to try to make a point, then you don't have a point, and not, at least in my, my view. I, I agree. You know, even if you share my, my viewpoint, once I see you start doing that name calling and so on, I'm gone. That's, I, I that's agree. the personal thing. But I'm, I'm injecting myself into the show, and I have and to listen to uh, with but, us. No, but, that's great, though. That, <laughs> that's the whole point, is to be able to have that dialogue. Right, right. Um it, I, I think that the dialogue is important, and we're missing it by by going down that name calling. Right, right. Well, we'll be right back, and when I'm back, I'm going to ask Melissa to tell us about some of her favorite women. For those of you listening to us from outside of the Dallas area, you did hear Melissa Tinning mention the name Mike Rawlings, 
And Mr. Rawlings is the mayor of Dallas and former CEO of Pizza Hut. Well, I'm back with uh, Melissa Tinning. Uh, Melissa, tell us about some of the strong men, women uh, that have influenced you and why they've influenced you or influenced uh, us as a whole. Okay. Uh, well, since you're giving me the opening, <laughs> I want to give a little shout-out um, to the um, Alpha Alpha alumni chapter of Chi Omega from North Texas. Woohoo, girls! <laughs> you got to tell me more about that. Some of these wonderful women. These are wonderful <laughs> women. Wonderful women. And we have um, just started reconnecting uh, the alumni group. Mm-hmm. And um, as a matter of fact, did on Sunday, mm-hmm. met with the group of us. And uh, it is fabulous to recall the the beautiful, vibrant girls we were and see the incredible women that that they have become. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm just loving that. So th- I'm, I'm going to go with that first. <laughs> okay. um, but there have been a lot of wonderful women. Uh, if it's if it's literary, if you've never read Sojourner Truth's um, speech to the Ohio Convention, I believe, is that correct? Right, right, right. The, the Ain't I a Woman? Mm-hmm. Oh, my Goodness, how poignant, how fabulous, and how strong mm-hmm. she's approaching this. Not just I'm a woman and I'm I'm standing with the suffragettes, uh, suffragettes. <laughs> Let me say that one one more time. The suffragettes. <laughs> um, but she's she's standing on the the backs of of the women who brought her to that place, mm-hmm. um, and and taking strength from a lifetime of, of slavery and loss and saying it's just such an incredible speech and I recommend anyone read this. Um, you know, my the, the women in my family are uh, just, I, I can't hold them up enough um, as far as strong women. Uh, you know, my mom, a single mom, raising two kids at a time when not a lot of women did and uh, I just I don't have to look very far to find those wonderful wonderful examples of of powerful gentle women. Now, when you when you say powerful gentle women, what what stands out, um, uh, especially for us men? What, you know, how do we see a, a powerful gentle woman? What does she look like or mm-hmm. feel like? Or go ahead. That's a great question, and I guess. Um, I think that using the term powerful is probably scary to some men if you're talking about a powerful woman. I think that that can um, incite some fear. Um, And I don't mean it in the Superman kind of powerful way. I mean in power of ethics and power of moral and power of character and and the strength to, to... Face adversity. Well, children, well, there's so much racket, there must be something out of kilter. I think that twixt uh, the Negroes of the South and the women of the North all talking about rights, these white men going to be in effect pretty soon. (laughs) But what's all this here talking about? That man over there says that women need to be helped into carriages and and lifted over ditches and to have the best place 
everywhere. Nobody ever helped me in the carriages or over mud puddles or give me in the best place. Ain't I a woman? Look at me. Look at my arms. I have plowed and planted and, and gathered in the barns and no man can head me. And ain't I a woman? I could work as much and, and, and eat as much as a man when I could get it and bear the lash as well. And ain't I a woman? I have born 13 children and seen most all sold off to slavery. And when I cried out with my mother's grief, none but Jesus heard me. And ain't I, ain't I a woman? Then they, they, they talk about this, this thing in the head. What's this they call it? What's this they call it? Intellect, that's it, honey. Intellect. What's that got to do with women's rights and Negroes' rights? If my cup were whole but a pot and yours are whole a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half measure fool? And then that, that, that man back there in the black, that man back in the black says that women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Mm. Where did your Christ come from? Mm. Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if the, if the first woman that God ever made was strong enough to turn this world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now, they's asking to do it. And you men, you men better let them. Obliged to you. Thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. Now, old Sir Jordan ain't got nothing more to say. <laughs> Bravo! Bravo! Woo! Bravo! Now, do you do you think um, do you think uh, the, a powerful? I, mean, I like I like the word powerful, um, and and it's not intimidating to me. It 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 bespeaks of strength and stature and and and, and a certain uh, amount of authority. But do you think um, that the stature of a powerful woman and the stature of a powerful man is there something different, be, uh, you know, between the two, or or is it the same thing? 
I think it depends on what you mean by powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking about the halls of power, mm-hmm. um, frankly, I don't think there should be a difference in the terminology mm-hmm. between a powerful woman and a powerful man. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about the, that leadership, mm-hmm. um, if you're talking, but you know, I don't hear that term used. That's an interesting question because I don't really hear that term used with men except in terms of the halls of power, mm. um, whether it's corporate mm-hmm. or um, political or I don't, we hear talk about a strong man or a good man, or yeah. a, but we don't necessarily hear that word powerful except in those terms. Mm. Mm. Um, and I, I don't, I, I my the, the way that I was using it with regard to women who have helped shape me is very um, much an intimate use as opposed to a global Global use. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So mm, that's an interesting question. I don't have an answer. (laughs) No, 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 you didn't. You just (laughs) didn't answer it. I I know that you mentioned some of the women that you influenced you, and and you're, of course, widely read. You, you, You read good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, so you're quoted with a number of wonderful writers. That, uh, I, I don't know if you you just if you'll consider them powerful or gentle or just great writers. Uh, I'd be glad if you could tell us about some of the the, the ones that uh, you love reading. And uh, you know, I'm probably gonna hit the wrong button here, <laughs> but I do. I love reading some of the the older. Uh, I, I I love the Brontes. I, I love Jane Austen. Yeah. I know that's popular right now yeah. to love Jane Austen. <laughs> um, but they were able to provide you with these fabulous, deep, quirky, imperfect mm-hmm. characters, uh, women to to look to, mm-hmm. uh, and by the same token, not. Um, you also have men that are are good examples as well, mm-hmm. and you, you, certainly there are cads and you know stuff like that. Um, there have to be. Right. You're right. You have to have some some bad guys, some good guys. But um, but I, I think that the the flaws of the characters are the most important parts of them, mm-hmm. as opposed to their strengths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Now, one of the things that I find, uh, I know you do a lot of research for your writing, mm-hmm. and, and I do too, and uh, there is, uh, you know, we can't argue the fact that, um, we can't argue against the fact that men have been dominating our societies or, you know, the writings and so on. But I've always, um, so that, that of course, occupies my mind. But it disappears when I do research. So many times I run into these women who are doing, uh, let's call them amazing things. I'd rather say powerful, strong, influential things that have changed our world. And it's right there, and I keep it bumps against something in my head which says, "Wait a minute." Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. Uh, and again, without um, trying to tear anyone down, uh, the book, the Village Book Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last book that we read was Life in a Jar, the Irena right. Senor story. And I wasn't there. But <laughs> and that's fine. Right. Um, this tiny little woman mm-hmm. uh, took on the Nazi occupation of Warsaw, and what she did was she saved 2,500 
children mm-hmm. from from death in the camps or just mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty five hundred, mm-hmm. and she not only saved the children, but she saved their identities as well. Mm-hmm. And what she did was she would smuggle these babies, these children out. Um, but she saved their history, she saved their names, she saved their parents' names, all of that, buried their information in jars in her backyard mm-hmm. so that when the time finally came, or if the time finally came, that they um, were free from this occupation, that they could know what their name really was because, of course, they were giving them Protestant names. Mm-hmm. or they, they were not. They were taking away their Jewish identity to try to hide them as... Mm-hmm. as um, uh, to hide them from from um, certain death, mm. and she was convincing parents to give up their children to her. And um, I mean, it's just the most incredible story. And she was captured, and she was tortured, and she uh, still, you know, was able to do this. By the same token, mm-hmm. um, Schindler saved a thousand people. Mm-hmm. She saved 2,500, but the movie was made for about him, uh, and which was a powerful and fabulous movie and a, a good way to get the information out. But uh, how come? Right, right, right. <laughs> you right. know, and um, by the same token, it, uh, I'm, I'm not intentionally trying to pick on Hollywood, but um, the George Clooney did the um, wonderful, the uh, Good Night and Good Luck movie mm-hmm. um, about the opposition to McCarthy. Mm-hmm. Margaret Chase Smith um, came out full bore against McCarthy, and she did it while she was in office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, risk so much, but people don't even know who Margaret Chase Smith is. I'm included in You're going to have to look up Maggie. Yes, I will. But, you know, so... The story doesn't seem to be as poignant mm. or as gripping, or but it is. Mm. These stories are. Mm. They're, they're yeah, but do you really think it's because uh, the stories are not... Pre- I'm trying to figure out whether the fault, for want of a better word, lies with those who are telling the story or those who are wanting to hear the story. Um, I mean, it's a general question. Do would we listen to the story of the woman as much as to the story of the man, or is it we're so accustomed to being presented one side? Or do tell me what you think about it. Well, if again, if we're talking about uh, movies, mm-hmm. um, the the Life in a Jar book is not an an especially well written book. Mm-hmm. The the story is. A beyond belief, incredible story, mm-hmm. but the book itself is not that well written. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, there could, there most definitely could be some issues like that. But if you're talking about telling it on screen to however many people, there are just as many top-notch actresses mm-hmm. who could tell that story as well as the top-notch actors who have done mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. We'll be right back with. Melissa Tinney. My name is Jade Beal. I'm a photographer, and I'm working on a book called A Beautiful Body. The book will be a collection of photographs redefining beautiful and praising the unphotoshopped body of women. 
and in this particular volume, specifically the body of a mother. I personally have struggled for nearly 30 years of feeling unbeautiful and trying to squeeze into someone else's idea of what beautiful is supposed to look like. I took these next three self-portraits because 95% of women will not see ourselves reflected in mainstream media. I posted the self-portraits on my website, and overnight, hundreds of women from around the world emailed me to thank me and ask if I would photograph them just as they were, and that they wanted to share their stories with other women as well. In the summer of 2012, a Beautiful Body book project was born. The project will be a collaboration of my photographs and the women's written stories, narrative, or poems about their personal struggle in finding freedom from feeling too fat, too skinny, too dark-skinned, too pale, too old, too saggy-breasted, too wrinkly, too pimply, too short, or whatever other story inhibits us from completely loving ourselves, just as we are. Nearly all the images we see depicting supposed beauty are altered. Necks are elongated, eyes are widened, chins, ears, and breasts are reshaped, and waistlines are tucked. If you think about it, that's pretty silly. And a year into this project, not only do I feel more beautiful, but I have seen over 50 women leave my studio feeling gorgeous, feeling elated. And I am honored that they want to be a part of this book, that they want to be a part of this new media platform. And I feel seen as we explore this vulnerability as a collective and this desire to feel beautiful in our own skin. It's time. Time to praise each other and empower one another. Welcome to all of you who have that running through your head now, that song, but um, I'm just going to get started with it. A good job that was, Mary Baxt, she said as she counted the money. Buban, did we really help her? What does it matter, Sarah? She is Navaria and goes back to the Grobnianso. She matters not to us. 
Her grandmother spit on the ground. But I pushed her, Bubon. I made her think that unless she bought your potion, her love in the cursed tombs, the Grobnianso, would never accept her. More spit directed between two fingers pressed against ancient lips. She is Navaria from the Grobnianso. The girl closed her eyes, her nine years of life weighing heavily. She tried once more. Bubon, I know she's not Gypsy, not Riafini. But she was already so scared, even before I pushed. My heart hurt when I made her more afraid. The money disappeared into the old woman's suave and, and abundant décolletage. Enough, Zura. We care not. They are already the living dead. So we just took her money and left her more scared than she was when she came to us? Me mishto fabulo cachio cortano. Stolen wood burns better for being stolen? What about stolen peace? Bah, peace. What peace can they have in the cursed tombs, where there is no sun above them or earth beneath, where only shadow and concrete offer comfort? They take the Riafini oracle to be true, but spurn us as the lowest caste. Our potions and cures they want, our alcohol and our joy, but they hide from very life itself in false caves that have no touch from the Creator. They wallow in fear. O Zalzaru, Kal, Peshki, Piri, acid corrodes its own container. Buban. The hag looked into the strange eyes of her granddaughter, her only living kin, and relented. Mary Baxt, my luck, your heart is your bloom, but to care your, for your family most is what you must learn. The Riafini, not the Navaria, love you, not because of your gift, child, in spite of it. The girl fell into her grandmother's arms, hiding her startling violet eyes. I have no bloom, Bouvan. She stroked the girl's long auburn hair. You shine from the inside out, Zura, not from the outside alone. Your fairness never fades. Shuktuski kalpea rosa. Beauty cannot be eaten with a spoon. They held to each other for a moment more before the old woman continued. Off we must be. Supplies will not come to us the way the Navaria do. They walked in silence from the two small tents set in the long shadow of the concrete city dubbed New Soleil. Two bedraggled families of four passed them, heading to the enormous edifice. Both groups gave the gypsies a wide berth, one even shielding their children's eyes. The two Rias strolled by magnificent abodes, once pristine and glorious, now overgrown and defaced. There was no need to stop. The houses had already been scavenged to their bones for supplies. Had the Riafini wanted earthbound homes, they could have had glorious mansions filled with exquisite furnishings and comforts, but their life was always one of wheels and travel. A few miles later, they came to the Ria encampment, a circle of wagons painted in dazzling colors around a large fire. Her buban gave the money to, they earned to the Ria Ottoman. Sura could feel the woman's fear of the chieftain, and she gently tamped it down to a manageable level to her, for her grandmother. They continued their walk hand-in-hand to a pond not far from their temporary home. They sat on some large boulders to eat a bite of cheese and drink strong, sweet tea. Buban, tell me again of the oracle. Ah, Mary Baxt, well, the love the Creator gave his children, the Riafini, a particular knowledge of both the beginning and end of time. Four Kenea birds each took hold of the love's many-colored coat and held him aloft so he could see the whole of the universe. He spied the pieces that he would need to create a home for his children, the Rhea. The Kaneas flew him to the corners of the universe so he could gather soil and water, air and fire. Yet try as he would, he could not form a world. Then Kanea Chiez let out an egg, perfectly round and huge. Delev took her growing life and built our world around it. 
but he told his beloved children that the time would come when, when Kaneachias would want her egg back. We will know that time because the skies will darken and Kaneachias will coat the world with her offage to break it apart and release her egg. But we also have the Dilev given word. The droppings of the flying bird never fall twice on the same spot. The girl smiled a child's smile that refreshed her grandmother more than food ever could. I must go further to find plants the Navaria industries have not yet touched and contaminated. The filth they have let into the water is killing all. You will wait for me here. No exploring, she said with a grin. At least, do not go into the water. She shook her finger at her grandchild. Sira spent many hours exploring the area around the pond thanks to her grandmother's realization that she needed to have some time to be a child. She continued to sit on the stone and watched as her bubon ambled away in search of herbs for her potions. When the old woman was out of sight, she said, You can come out if you'd like. A Navaria boy of about 15 stepped out from a tight copse of dying trees. Panic projected from him like lightning bolts that pierced her consciousness. She so slowly smoothed his concerns. How did you know I was there? You are very loud. Does the witch know I'm here? My grandmother is not a witch, but she does have poor hearing. The apprehension began building up again, and again she stroked it like she would a cat that needed to be calmed. He shook his head as though to clear it, then surprised himself by stepping forward with his hand stretched out. I'm Augie Amato. Though she could not either incite or allay emotions in others, her own disquietude ran rampant in her. She stared at the proffered hand and took a step back. My brothers are close by. What are you doing here? He spoke conspiratorially. Some men in my department were talking about visiting the gypsies. They spoke about what a wonderful time they had, though they were drinking and I wouldn't do that. But they went on and on about how nice the gypsy women were and how I should visit with them and learn more about the workings of the world. Sura knew well what the Navaria men liked about Rhea women. Your father brought you to meet the Rhea? Rhea? Is that one woman in particular? No, my father is dead. My whole family. It's just me. Well, and the people in the physics area at New Soleil. I'm working on quantifying specific particles in hydrogen to help clean up the water supplies that have been polluted by the indumpisters. Huh? I'm a scientist. And men you quantify with sent you alone to the Rhea to have sex? What? They both rubbed their temples to stymie the matching headaches that were starting. Sarah composed herself first. Let's go again. She emulated him and stepped forward with her hand out. I'm Sura of the Riafini people. He grinned and took her hand. Augie, short for Augustus, from New Soleil. Nice to meet you. Uh, but that isn't what your grandma called you. No, she called me Mary Bax. It means my luck. And those men sent you for bad reasons. Yeah, I get that. Hey, Mary Sura, I like that story your grandma told. The astro guys in the physics department have kind of a similar one. They say all the junk we've been leaving up in space has created its own funky layer just above the ozone. Because it's bouncing between the ozone and space, the whole layer is becoming corrupted and will start falling back to Earth. But it'll superheat in the atmosphere and fall as molten metal. What will happen? Anybody caught outside the cities that have been fortified against it will be cooked. But they say it's going to be a long time before that happens. And they're even better than the weather people about getting their predictions right. He shrugged. We have put lots of junk up there in space, but the science doesn't really work that way. I think they're just trying to get people into the cities. She probed him for fear under his words and felt none. He shook his head again. Would you like to explore with me? Yeah, this place is incredible. They started toward the pond. 
Bouvant says it used to be, but you can't drink this water or use any of the plants. It's all been poisoned by the Navarilla. I've never seen trees this tall. Do you climb them? What's a Navarilla? Is it always so hot? What's a Bouvant? Are there frogs? Frogs? What's wrong with your eyes? Can... You were trying to jump over your own shadow. Have you never been outside? My parents took me to New Soleil when I was a baby. That's where they figured out I understood physics and math, even though I was a kid. I've been working in the labs with adults ever since my parents were killed in an elevator accident. No other children work with you? Not in the labs. They say I have a special gift. She stopped abruptly. What did you say? Um, I'm not bragging. That's just what the leaders have told me. That's what Bubon tells me. Okay, I still don't know what a Bubon is. What special gift do you have? She considered the boy for a moment, marveling at his naivete and enthusiasm, and made a decision. Please don't run when I ask you this question. How would you feel if I told you my brothers were coming back any minute and they hate your people? His feet shifted and, looked, and he looked around nervously. Is that true? She reached out to his anxiety and brushed across it in light strokes. He shook his head as though trying to clear it. Are you afraid? No. She pulled back slowly. That is my gift. His concern began building again. Your brothers? I have no kin but my Bouban. You were playing around in my head? I felt a fuzzy warmth and confusion like when you're dreaming that you're trying to wake up and can't and it's all in the dream. You're in my head? No, I'm just able to see your emotions and I can calm them or make them really bad. No one has ever realized I was doing it before, though. Don't do it again. Not without you knowing. They stood together in silence for a solid minute. What's a Bouban? Zura let out the breath she had been holding and beamed at her new friend. Bouban is my grandmother. You are Navaria. It means not Riafini. Yes, I've climbed trees, but these are dying and dry now and dangerous. It is hot this time of year, but the temperature changes with the seasons. If you do find a frog, stay away from it. They've been poisoned too, along with the fish and many have been born with deformities, like me and my eyes. Your eyes aren't deformed, Mary Sura. They're unique, beautiful. What's it like in the Grobniamso, a new soleil? Crowded, dark, small, stuffy in the living apartments. There are only certain people you can talk to, which is weird, because we came from the labor group, but now the only people I see are from the higher castes. The temperature is always the same. The labs are very bright and big, though. That's why I stay there so much. What does Grobniamso mean? She hesitated for a moment. It means cursed tombs. Yeah, that sounds about right. The sound of a large animal bullying its way through the dying vegetation came from the direction of the Riafini encampment. It was the Ottoman, dragging a Ria girl named Laureate toward the pond. She was not much older than Sura, but had been working as a laundress since she was a small child. Unfortunately, unfortunately for her, she had developed a woman's body early. It is time you earn your way for the Ria girl, the huge chieftain growled. Prepared for this very night you'll be. Laureate's eyes were huge, but the only sound that came from her was a whimper. Her distress and revulsion hit Sura like a tidal wave and knocked her down. Augie reached for her just as the Ottoman noticed the new friends. He dropped his victim and fell into a fighting stance. Navaria, you are dip dipping your wick where you do not belong. Sura stood, shaking with levels of fear that were surging and twisting around her. Ottoman, the boy is with me. Then you betray all. He circled the children, knees bent, preparing for carnage, focused on Augie, who looked bewildered. Nadaran, Navaria, he whispered cruelly as he leapt toward the boy. Augie jumped as high as he could and grabbed a low-hanging limb, pulling his legs up. 
but the tree had already succumbed to the blight in the land and was only a husk. The limb cracked just as the ottoman drove under, dove under. Augie fell onto the Rhea's back while the limb crashed onto the big man's neck, stunning him. Augie scrambled up and over to the two girls, who were staring, frozen with astonishment. The physics should have worked, he grumbled. As the ottoman slowly got to his feet, an unearthly sound screamed above them. A mass the size of a house fell just ten yards away, boiling and roiling, scorching the dry vegetation around it. Kania Chiaz, the chieftain yelled. He ran toward the group, his eyes feral. You brought this Navaria. Sura steeled herself and threw his anger and fear back at him, doubling it, tripling it, engulfing him in it. He bellowed and spun, running into the molten blob. E Chirikleski, Kulchi Peril, Duvar, Peyektan. He forced himself into the deadly pile, screaming in agony. More and more globs of metal were falling around them. It is the prophecy, it is the prophecy, Laureate yelled. The caves, Sir grabbed Augie's arm. We must get to the caves. He nodded, pulled Laureate's arm over his shoulder, and stumbled after Sura. She led the way into a deep complex of caverns she had discovered. The few animals, birds, and other things still living joined the humans' migration. As they neared the opening, another pile of detritus fell, coating the cairn that housed the caves, but sliding away from the opening. They watched aghast along with the other creatures seeking safety. But the metal dissipated quickly and slid into the infected pond, leaving only a crust over the underground sanctuary. Sura began laughing hysterically. Augie shook her. Sura, we have to try to get to New Soleil. No, it is the prophecy. Ichirikleski, Kulchi, Perel, Duvar, Peyektan. The droppings of the flying bird never fall twice on the same spot. We must get into the caves. Wonderful story, beautiful language. That's silly. Now, now, what uh, what inspired you to craft this particular story? Um, Well, my writers group was thinking about doing a group writing exercise, Mm -hmm. and other than that, I have no idea. It just (laughs) it just came to me. The the Odd phrases in there are actually Romani phrases. They are you. actually Gypsy, okay. and I read that one about the droppings of the fall of the, of the fall. Wait, you know uh, yeah, the, the bird droppings, right. and it just cracked me Doesn't up so fall much. Twice the Doesn't fall, fall. Right. Right, right? It just cracked me up, and right. I had to write a story around it. I love so. it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Morris has been traveling a lot uh, lately, as as usual. Would you like to share with us some of your travels? Well, in January, um, we were lucky enough to go to Green Turtle Key in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. which is a small island, and um, it was so wonderful. There was absolutely nothing to do mm-hmm. uh, but wake up in the morning, turn on the coffee pot, take 10 steps out, and be in the water swimming, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, which was wonderful, wonderful. We did get to uh, do a, a fun dive. And um, Brendan, who has the dive shop there, uh, took us out on our dive, took some other folks out snorkeling, and then went to um, an island that is not inhabited at all, and Mm. we did a cookout Mm. on the beach. Mm. And uh, he made a conch ceviche for us that from conch he had just gone and gotten right there (laughs) as we were diving Uh and um and you know marinated it and and we had that it was absolutely wonderful it Mm. was it was really incredible but one of the funnest things about that island was 
we were on the back side, um, on on the lee side, in a uh, with a, a little um, mini marina, mm-hmm. um, uh, natural mm-hmm. um, one, and we snorkeled out. There's kind of a break. Um, we snorkeled out to this teeny tiny little island, and by island I mean maybe eight feet across and twenty feet long. Right. So yes. teeny tiny little thing, mm-hmm. but it was. Um, made from the island itself was created from the bones of the sea basically Mm -hmm. Um, it had this fabulous lunar like landscape you had to have your water shoes on because it was very sharp Mm -hmm. but you have this crazy divot golf ball like divots throughout the whole thing Mm -hmm. then you have the the pink and blue the of the um, brain coral mm-hmm. right there, and you have these bright orange little skittery crabs going yeah. across, and you have, I swear they were the scarabs out of the mummy movies. I don't know what they were actually, but that's what they looked like. Right. And But then the most fun thing about it was that you had the water on either side. You, you had, it, it, with each swell, the water would come up on... on one side and then it would come up on the other side but it wouldn't meet and then it would go down and then it would come back up and then finally it would come together and swirl like the dances in the Victorian you know um, timepiece movies swirl together and then go apart again and start coming back and mm-hmm. back back and forth again it was just wonderful mm-hmm. um, we had so much fun there and then um, we also got to go to uh, Cabo San Lucas in mm-hmm. May, and um, we did something that we haven't ever done before. There, we did the, an ATV ride. Right. <laughs> and Cabo um, mm-hmm. is is uh, sea level desert, mm-hmm. and so they take you on in they they take you on this ride from the the place down through um, a, a dry arroyo until you get to the ocean. Mm-hmm. But they put uh, they put bandana on you, and they put a hat, the helmet on you, and they put goggles on you, mm-hmm. and um, so we're driving along this dry riverbed. There's dust coming up all along, uh, all around us, and I'm looking around. There were there were eight of us total, and I'm looking around, going, "I'm in a Mad Max movie," <laughs> and then just as I was thinking that. Four dune buggies came up with us. I'm in a Mad Max movie. Where's Mel Gibson? This, you know, we need to go. It was the fun. We had so much fun, and they go fast. We had so much fun doing that. Now, do you have any pictures? I do. Whoa. I do. Are you going to share them? Yes, yes. I can share some pictures good, with you. Good, good. Well, Melissa, I am so glad that you were able to come back and share with us. Uh, you know, your story and what's happening. I trust that uh, women around the world would listen to heed your call. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Neville. A very special thanks to Sojourner Truth for traveling all the way from 1851 in the beautiful personhood of Pat Thiriault to deliver that stunning speech, Ain't I a Woman? We especially look forward to having Pat on the journey soon. 
For those of you who haven't yet read the inspirational and transformative true story, my tribute to a few of our mighty women, entitled Ilicet, I-L-I-C-E-T, Ilicet, A Time to Begin Again, I encourage you to grab a copy from Amazon or Barnes and & Noble and spread the word. See you next week. If my cup will hold but a pot and yours will hold a quart, wouldn't you be mean not to let me have my little half-measure fool? And then that, that, that man back there in the black, that man back in the black says that women can't have as much rights as men because Christ wasn't a woman. Where did your Christ come from? Mm. Where did your Christ come from? From God and a woman. Man had nothing to do with him. <laughs> now, if the, if the first woman that God ever made was strong enough to turn this world upside down all alone, these women together ought to be able to turn it back and get it right side up again. And now, they's asking to do it. And you men, you men better let them. Obliged to you. Thank you for letting me speak to you this morning. Now, old Sir Jordan ain't got nothing more to say.